Welcome, welcome everybody to Pop Culture 5. I'm Darren Dove, a.k.a. assistant to the co-host, joined by my main man, Thomas Senna. How you doing, man? Yes, yes, things are good. I love doing this podcast for many reasons, but take being able to take a deep dive for like a couple week time period into something that that we love is just so fulfilling and that's that's what's happened with our uh with our topic today but just like every week man like one week I'm um deep into Beatles songs and one week right. I'm watching uh doing re- research on Bruce Springsteen HBO Simpsons I'm watching Simpsons episodes so it's just like one of the big things that, that that I really truly enjoy about this podcast is just being able to be an expert about a one specific thing for like a couple weeks span. Yeah. So, I, so I've really enjoyed. This is one of my favorite shows. I, I'm just reminded that this is one of my favorite shows of all time that we're talking about today. So I'm like jazzed about <laughs> about this show and about our episode. No, me too, man. And me too. And it's uh, I feel the same way. It's always good to just. Even though all these things that we're talking about, we we like we're fans of, we know about, but it's like you know you get caught up with life, other things. So it's like, oh man, maybe I haven't listened to this or I haven't watched this in a little bit, and it just takes you right back, like oh, like so many different memories and feelings. So, and and this topic and this show is definitely right up there because you know we're talking about the office, and there's I can remember so much with this show. I remember the person who introduced me to this and where that was and what it situation you know it was after my junior prom and my friend's older brother we were over at his house we were going to spend like the the night like hanging out his older brother came in and was like you got to watch the office and i'm like i've seen the bbc one he goes no the american one and he had the dvd of the first season and it was just like boom i remember then off to the races telling friends telling my brother like you gotta watch this show and it's been that Great common factor, whether friends from high school, college, different jobs I've had, family. Not everyone's a sports fan. Not everyone likes the same music or the same type of movies or comedy, but everyone loves The Office. Yeah, this is su- this is such a universal thing. Like we've all, or most of us, there's been some lucky few, but a lot of us have worked in cubicle situations, mm-hmm. those office situations, and the way this show takes the the minutia of what happens uh, in any given day in, in an office environment and just kind of builds it up and uh, like really war- looks into to the specifics of that thing and minds for comedy gold. Like it's just taps into something that's so relatable to all of us. And it's just so genius in the format, the mockumentary format mm-hmm. and dare me. That's what hooked me initially too because i was already a fan of like christopher guest movies like best in show and the things like that so when i saw a television show that was formatted as a mockumentary i'm like oh this is cool i think this is something that i could get into so we talk about we've talked about in the past weeks about like it's kind of a running theme lately that i've been late to stuff Mm -hmm. pop culture wise the office i was not late to the office i watched from like day one i jumped in like i was a ground floor with the office. So uh, it's one of those shows where I spotted and I was like, I see something here that happens to me every now and then succession that happened with me recently. I saw ground floor. I think I said, I think there's something here. Same way with the office. 
So that's why a lot of times this, you know, this show means a lot to me too, because I actually wasn't late to it for once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's really so you you got it because I missed it the first season and I got it season two. Okay. Which we you know, I I go between season two and season three as like my favorite seasons. Um you know, but like that's when I jumped I've got it live, like watching it on NBC. So I was a little bit behind like that summer getting those six episodes and then it was like boom off to the races but since you're day one this is perfect because you're even a little bit ahead of me but talking to like other friends of mine in the past few years especially during like your quarantine and everything and talking to them about the office is it kind of surprising because when the office was on the air like on NBC it was like a cult hit it wasn't mm-hmm. like this huge thing and then it goes off the air in 2013 and then goes on the Netflix. And I feel like these past, like, I don't know, definitely at least five to, you know, 10 years after it's been off the air, it's like it's got become like this huge phenomenon. And like people, you know, kids who were like too young to remember it, they know it. Like pop uh, podcasts have been big. Like, you know, we both read the oral history. Yeah. It's really just taken off after it's went off the air. Like, is that a surprise to you? The more I think about it, the less of a surprise it is, just because it's easily it was easily accessible on streaming. So I think the demographic uh, that that streams stuff now and binges things, they weren't necessarily wanting to to watch a show, having to wait a week to watch a new episode or whatever. And I think The Office lends itself to binge watching, yes, and streaming so much. So I think the when it got put on, I think it was, at first it actually got put on iTunes. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first shows that that got put on iTunes, and it became really popular that way. But then it exploded when it was on Netflix, and I think it's just so bingeable, and it has that perfect balance to me of accessibility and relatability, and uh, one of those shows that's just populist kind of show, but it's also very funny and clever. So I think it strikes that perfect balance to go along with that people were able to access it and binge it. So factoring all that in, it doesn't necessarily surprise me. What surprised me at the time was that it took a while for it to gain traction when it was running on NBC. That was right. kind of the surprise to me. Well, that that's what that's what got me because I can as much as a lot of like friends and people I'm cool with at the time liked it. There's a lot of people who didn't like the, you know, because the office is cringe humor. Oh, I sure. mean, it's it's more than that too, but it's it's base. I would say it's, it's maybe one of the first things I think of. Like it's, it's high on that list when I think of cringe humor is the office, and a lot of people didn't like that. And I guess so for me, I think you made great points, and I agree with you. I guess that is the part that surprises me now is. Uh, where people are going to be okay with that cringe humor and with some of the jokes that aren't so PC in, 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 in today's culture. But I, it seems like people kind of understand and get it. And and it has that, access, like you said, accessibility and, you know, the way Steve Carell portrayed Michael Scott, like, you know, you can laugh at him, but you, you, you know he means well and you love him anyway. I, I think all that is really just uh, pleasantly, but surprised me. Yeah, I think the younger generation now appreciates cringe humor a little bit more possibly okay. that seems to be a thing 
uh, that's coming back is, is, is quote unquote cringe humor. And I think that's what appeals to a lot of folks now who weren't able to watch the office. They were too young to watch the office as it was airing. I think the cringe humor part of it is something that catches people as well. So that's a, yeah, that's a really good point. I, I personally love that cringy. Like I don't mind feeling uncomfortable. It yeah. makes me laugh to sit there and kind of feel uncomfortable for somebody. So that's mm-hmm. right up my alley. But maybe that Same. wasn't as accessible uh, at the time. No, I, I, I don't think it was. But I, I think that, that's interesting. It's a good point that it's become a lot like the younger generation likes it and they're fine with it. Before we get into it, I want to know who is your favorite character or characters there's a couple but who who are those characters that like you you really love i've always really liked jim probably okay. first and foremost because it's just his his level of sarcasm and how he treats having to be in that environment every day really speaks to me and i think in a lot of ways that's how i handled when i when i have worked in office environments like that mm-hmm. that's how i've handled my time there <laughs> Is sort of being sarcastic, doing little little running jokes with somebody. Maybe not like mean spirited totally, but just to kind of keep myself occupied during the day. I could tell that Jim probably had more talent and he could have done bigger things than what he was doing at that office. And he knew that, but he also, for whatever reason, was stuck there. And to fill his time, he would do the like mess with Dwight. Mm-hmm. He would have obviously flirt with uh with pam yeah so and he he would just like crack jokes he would just the way he carried himself uh day to day he he was almost maybe a a little above it all (laughs) when you when you look back at it but i just identified with uh with jim quite a bit so he's always the one that that stood out to me from from that perspective what about you you have a favorite yeah um i i would have to say I loved Andy, and 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 even Speaking how of he, cringe. Yes, just, yeah, yeah. And he kind of ends on the greatest, but like I, I loved Andy. I loved the Nard Dog, and uh, you know, especially you know when he goes from Stamford to Scranton. Mm-hmm. I liked him when he was at Stamford too, but like it goes to Scranton and everything going on with that. He just has me cracking up, man, and just just with him singing and the you know. Give me the beat, boys, to free my soul. Like, I just love when he just like just busts out. So Andy always kind of had me dying, and he he was a favorite of mine. Um, and a lot of the what I love about the office too is just uh, it's such an ensemble. Yeah, and there's just so many. I know so many people now who just love Creed as their favorite character. Or oh, Creed's Creed's great, especially when I found out uh, about his musical past, like his legit musical yeah. past. Yeah, part of uh. Uh, the Grassroots, mm-hmm. that really famous song that Creed performed in. One, two, three, four. Sha la 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 la, live for today. Sha la 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 la, live for today. And don't worry about tomorrow. Sha la 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 la, for today. For today, we're never meant to. He ended up being like a highlight of the series for sure. Absolutely. So, it, it, you know, from Creed or Oscar or Toby, just different, you know, to Todd Packer and, and different people like that, like, you know, Daryl. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just have grown to just love how great this ensemble was and how special of a cast and writing staff that they really had. 
Yeah, yeah, it was such a such a great ensemble. We got to give credit a uh, big time to Allison Jones. She yes. was the, the uh, casting person, the the head of casting, who who just did a brilliant job of mm-hmm. casting this show. And if you read Andy Green's oral history, they go in depth about how how she cast the show, and uh, she had a good point. Like, you know, and the the producers did as well. Like, they didn't want somebody too famous. They didn't want people. They wanted people who were up and comers not superstars they don't want since it was a mockumentary they didn't want you to be taken out of the show by seeing somebody too famous initially obviously we started seeing more and more famous people uh, as the um, seasons went on but initially i think that was brilliant to cast talented people who not many folks knew about of course it was good timing because 40 year old virgin had come out around that time too so steve carell became really famous so they hit, they 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 struck gold right there with right. with that timing. But I think for the for the most part, you know, casting unknowns was was a good call, Jeremy. No, oh, I think it's one, of, and you're right to give props to Allison, and I think that was a brilliant idea because I know for me, I'll be honest, I would have been taken if you had some, you know, say like hypothetical a Jim Carrey mm-hmm. was playing that. I, I'm not going to focus on the mockumentary part, and it's really going to be. Instead of the ensemble, Jim Carrey and others. Yep. And I think that would have taken away from it. So I am glad that they made that decision too. Yeah, and it morphed somewhat into the Steve Carell show, but it still maintained that ensemble. Like he was definitely the linchpin of the show, but it still maintained that ensemble flair. Like, like, like he was the grounding force. So there was, if you pinpointed a star, it was Steve Carell, but he wasn't so much the star that it took away from the ensemble. No, I think that was a right. good balance right there. Yeah. He, he's the lead, but it's still, you had, yeah. you know, a lot of people loved the Jim Pam storyline and what's going on with them. A lot of people liked, you know, watching Dwight. There was something, like you said earlier, for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the writers did a good job of featuring that, you know, especially in the Michael Scott era. You yeah. know, those first seven seasons. Yeah, I've been talented writers, too, and producers, man. Like Greg mm-hmm. Daniels, the showrunner uh, for, for the majority of the time there. He was Conan O'Brien's writing partner. Yeah. Came from SNL. Uh, Greg Daniels, just a, an incredible showrunner. You had Mike Shore, who went on to do Parks and Recreation, The Good Place. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, you had Mindy Kaling, yeah. who was an amazing writer there. Obviously, played Kelly, BJ Novak. You just had such a good, great core of people writing for this show and making decisions and and forming it into the the show that we all love. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm just ready to get into this because I'll be honest, this was such a thrill. But this might have been the hardest to do of our episodes so far for me because i had to really keep reminding myself don't go to favorite yeah go essential essential so this was like it was fun but it was a challenge because i was my mind was just going to so many different other episodes that i'm like that's not essential that's my favorite come on Jeremy, remember 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 so this was yeah this was tough we have a we're on a mission we have a mission with this podcast Jeremy, and I, i had i had to tell myself that too i i will say that i think there's my prediction is there's one episode that both of us will have for sure, yeah. but then to me it gets interesting after that. Okay. So I'm curious to see how that plays out, but that's just going in. That was my prediction. Okay. There's going to be that one that we'll both have that's just like to me a lock, but then what, where do we go? So we'll okay. see how that plays out. Awesome. Awesome. 
So for those, if it's your first time listening, since I'm the host this week, I get three choices of the five. Thomas, as the co-host, he gets two, but then he has veto power. So if he thinks that one of my choices doesn't cut you know, for the essential list, then he gets to veto, and I have to come up with another one. So I'm interested to see Thomas hasn't used his veto fully yet. So uh, I, I, this one could be it. Who knows? Um, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm just waiting to see what that topic will be. Have that in my back pocket. Absolutely. Ready to strike. So I'm kicking it off, and you kind of started, you said a little bit, uh, I, I'm going to go to season two. I'm going to go to that premiere. I'm going to go to the Dundies. The Dundies. How can I explain, can I explain it? I want you to create it. I'm happy that you all made it. You never had to work so hard and feel no notices. You're just a name and number and no one even says hello. How many brothers out there know this what I'm getting at? The Dundies are kind of like a kid's birthday party. And you go... And there's really nothing for you to do there, but the kid's having a really good time, so you, you're kind of there. That's, that's kind of what it's like. And I'm going to the Dundies because part of it was the, the first season of The Office didn't really rate well. And a lot of people thought, and those who don't know, The Office season one is only six episodes. So a lot of times they, re- they thought that they were going to have that six and that could be it. A big reason why they got brought back number one was 40 year old virgin comes out after that and like you said thomas steve carell becomes a star 40 year old virgin is a hit and then also they you know trusted it greg daniels and they said we'll give you another chance so the writers kind of said how do we tweak this a bit and if you watch you know season one which i personally like season one um some people don't you'll it's see a different feel man it's just- yeah yeah, like like a lot of series, like the first season sometimes has a different feel. This one included. Yeah, I, and I and I still like I like what they did though, where they made Michael, they took a little of the edge off of him. Yes, and you can definitely see in season one. I thought he had some funny moments, but like there was a little bit of edge, a little extra cringe in Michael's character. But in this season, you see a little bit less edge and more heart from Michael, but still that not understanding social cues and just inappropriate jokes at the inappropriate time. And I think it's a big episode because the Dundies are such a big theme throughout the series. You get to see Michael have that heart. You kind of get to see, I feel like the cast, you know, the office, they're like reluctant family in a way. Because when Michael gets like, you know, harassed by those other patrons and then you know, get stuff thrown at him you could tell everyone Which, feels- by the way where were where were his people hey thanks guys hey where are you guys from we just came from your mama's house you guys gonna uh-huh. finish that all right yeah sing another song dude uh you know what guys we're just having a little office party so if you want to hey you know cool it guys really you suck, man. You suck. <laughs> yeah, when I watch that episode and those guys yell at him, I'm like, somebody say something back to them. They're just letting Michael sit there. But but ultimately, they do. it does bond them a little bit more. But in that moment, uh, just as a sidebar, that it always kind of frustrates me. It frustrates me, too. And I try to justify, is it like <laughs> because they're, you know, Michael annoys them. So they're kind of like, whatever, at first, like... But then when the guys throw stuff, I was like, yo, somebody's got to stick up for him. Yeah, like, yeah. yo, that's where it's like, come on now. 
You also get a big, you know, Pam and Jim moment here where Roy winds up leaving. Pam tells him off. Pam stays and she starts, you know, hitting the booze a lot. And she, to me, maybe her one of her funniest episodes, the character of Pam, is mm-hmm. the Dundies. And just, you know, she kind of leaves the rally after Michael gets harassed. And when she wins her Dundee and is like, you know, I feel God in this. I want to thank God because I feel God in this place yeah. and all those things. And, and her kissing Jim too so i just think because if i'm going to show what the office really is the start is the dundies like you get the blueprints of season one and some funny moments but of what like you said earlier i love how you said it the accessibility why everyone can connect to it it starts with in my opinion season two episode one the dundies yeah you hit you hit it right on the head there's uh, this this episode has a bunch of pivotal points and First of all, the Dundies. So you're right. Like, there's a lot of references throughout the series to the Dundies, and this is the origin of the Dundies. So obviously, in the context of the show, this isn't the first time they had done the Dundies, but this is the first time that we see mm-hmm. the Dundies taking place. So there's that. Then you have the Pam and Jim thing. We had we get we get progress with like things moving forward with Pam and Jim. We see Roy and Pam's relationship being pretty rocky and Pam dealing with that and Jim kind of like trying to be a gentleman but like this is also kind of cool like that that I'm getting this attention from Pam so you see the Pam and Jim thing progressing but the main thing that you brought up that was that probably kept this series alive and thriving was taking the edge off of Michael yeah. And so in the, I, I think of the Michael in season one, like even what they were talking about in the in the oral history, and it's so true. Even his haircut changed. So in mm-hmm. season one, he had like the slick back hair. He's had more of like the douchebag kind of vibe and hair and everything like that. But to continue with the series, you couldn't make him just this monster, this unlikable. You had to put you had to put some some heart into it, and that's what the UK office. They, I think some of the producers even admitted, like, we couldn't take uh, the David Brent character. We could only take him so far because he didn't have as much heart like uh, as right. like Michael Scott ended up having. Right. So, so that was a huge – I think that was the turning point in the series, actually, was taking the hard edge off of, off of Michael and giving him some heart and relatability, Jeremy. That's an excellent point. Yeah, because I think um, – I love TV, TV history – Michael, to me, Michael Scott is high on greatest characters in television history. And I, and I think mm-hmm. this is that pivotal point. And like you said, if you kept him with that edge, the show's not going to be able to last. And, and his character wouldn't be remembered like that. Like, it, it yep. just wouldn't be. Absolutely. Then by the end, yeah, it was so great. Like, spearheaded by Pam, who wanted the Dundies to continue. And mm-hmm. she starts the chanting. And then everybody slowly kind of gets into, like, okay, well, let's have fun. And they laugh at Kevin's award. And then Stanley laughs at his award. And he's like, at least I didn't get the award for a smelly bowel movement or whatever. Yeah. 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 So so they started, like, the, the people in the office started, like, really having fun with the Dundies. We'll keep him rolling. Okay, this is the Fine Work Award. This goes to Stanley for all the fine work he did this year. You know you did. Well, last year I got great work, so I don't. <laughs> so I don't know what to think about this award. But at least I didn't get smelliest bowel movement like Kevin. <laughs> 
and you could see Michael just being like, okay, like, cause, cause part of like the cringe, but part of why we still kind of root for Michael is because he does these silly things, but it's such an earnest way. Yeah. Like he wanted to do these Dundies and host the Dundies and it's such a silly concept, but he was so passionate about doing this and you're just kind of like, this is kind of dumb, but I want him to succeed. And I'm so happy that the, 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 everybody, the rest of the characters and the people at the office all ended up rallying around the, the Dundee Awards that evening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause I think it also, it kind of goes to, if you don't make the change in Michael, then your, your only point, like you just would look at it and be like, well, why are you staying? You know, why are you working there still? Right. Where, like, when you brought up, like, how Jim, I think what got Jim is obviously Pam, in my opinion. But number two, I think, is, yeah, it's a boring job, but a big part of it due to Michael. He likes it there. Like, you know, it's it it's for the job being boring. You don't know what crazy thing's going to happen from Michael or goofy thing from Dwight. And sometimes that does keep you going at a job where it's like you don't really like what you're doing. But if you have that right crew around you, it makes the like, oh, these eight hours don't feel that bad. Exactly. Exactly. And you need. Yeah, you're right. I didn't really never thought about it that way. You need a reason why these characters are still there. Yeah. And yeah, part of them like is they're entertained by Michael mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, Deremy, this episode was written by Mindy Kaling too, yeah. which, is a, which is a great fact that I, I like to shout out some of the writers and Mindy Kaling, uh, who played Kelly on on The Office, but just, an, just a great writer. She had mm-hmm. some of the best ideas. She was behind some of the better episodes of Absolutely. The Office, uh, and this is a Mindy Kaling episode, and uh, so I want to shout out her. And I think a lot of people were surprised, like Kelly is actually like a writer. <laughs> she's like behind the scenes. That's mm-hmm. that's crazy, but she's a hell of a writer. Yep. One one of the OG writers, her yes. BJ mm-hmm. Novet like they were it wasn't a big writing staff at first. Nope. So it is, you know, it, it was pretty cool to see that and and like you said Mindy Kaling is just a force. Yeah. Yeah, great choice, man. All right. The All Dundies. right. Thank you. Definitely Thank essential. You. That that's the one I knew. I'm like I <laughs> <laughs> I everything else I don't know, but this okay. one I'm like, yep, I, I think Thomas he he he'll agree with this. Yes. You're up, my man. All right. So with our second choice, my first choice, I am gonna go to season four. And we talk about cringe humor, Jeremy, and uh. this is exactly what we're talking about. And you know which one I'm gonna bring up because it's like one of the cringiest episodes in television history. Actually, one of my favorite episodes in television history. And I, I personally think, and I'm not alone in this. This is like a populist opinion that this is probably the best episode in Office history. But I think it's the best, but it's also essential. And it's going to be Dinner Party. Absolutely. Dinner Party from Season 4, Episode 13. Everybody, I just got off the horn with corporate. And uh, basically, I told them where they could stick their little overtime assignment. Go enjoy your Friday. Thank you, Michael. All right. All right. Happy Friday. Well, I think we dodged a bullet there. I think you did. I think we should celebrate. How about you, Pam, me, Casa, little dinner, dancing, drinks? Oh, I... You said you didn't have plans. That's what you said. Michael has asked Pam and me to dinner at least nine times, and every time we've been able to get out of it. But I got to give him credit. He got me because I'm starting to suspect that there was no assignment from corporate. Oh my gosh. Just again, cringe humor, but there's just so many beats throughout that. This is like a jam packed action packed 
21 minutes of television. It's so amazing. Like the, 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 the beginning about how Michael outsmarts Jim to make sure that he has no excuse to not attend to the dinner party. And then they show Jim yeah. doing his talk, his, uh, his interview to the camera. And he's like, I got hand it to Michael. He got me. He yeah. Got that me. was fun. That was like, good. I'm starting to believe there's no, there wasn't any overtime to begin with. Like as soon as Michael there. So how the episode starts is Michael, uh, is telling people, Oh, we have to stay and work overtime and cancel all your plans. And then he pretends to call corporate and like stand up for everybody and say, we will not work overtime, this and that. And then so he's like, all right, everybody's free. And then he invites Jim to the dinner party, knowing that Jim doesn't have an excuse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so so that's how it's. So that was that was just a perfect opening right there is just Michael actually outsmarting Jim for once and and, and doing this. So do you uh, th- I assume this is an episode that you like, Jeremy. Um, I'm going to be real. Oh, this is uh if there's an episode that I had the most debates with other office fans, it's this episode. Okay. I, I don't think it's a bad one. I think it's overhyped and overrated. And when I see, especially in 2020, like, cause it was the 15th anniversary and that oral history came out and a lot of people had like best episode. And I saw dinner party. Number one, I was floored and I called some other friend. I'm like, can you, but they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, dinner party. I do think like it definitely has to cringe. It's it's not a bad episode, and I understand Great why. It's episode. A, I understand why it's essential. It, for like, all right, for like, this is not essential. Like for Jeremy's like personal favorite list, I don't think it hits the top. Definitely not top fifteen. Maybe not top twenty. I just I just kind of well, felt well, yeah, like what is it about it? I'm curious it, now. It didn't have enough of the humor for me. It had the cringe, and to me, I guess. You already knew the Michael and Jan relationship was was toxic and not good, and yeah. so it just kind of like went into that more. And you just saw that. I it, I like how like you, you felt bad for Michael, and you felt bad for what, and it was like what was happening to Michael in a way. But in a way, he chose it. He chose to be with like that wasn't just. But um, I remember watching that one live, and then. I'll be honest, coming in like the next day to work and being like, oh, it didn't hit me that well. Hmm. And then I've watched it some more and it's like, I try to understand why people like it, but I just don't think it's, there's just so many other moments that if you want heart, if you want the empathy, if you want just the funny, so many other episodes bring that to me more than Dinner Party does. Oh, that's interesting though. There, to me, there's so many little funny moments and it, like it does bring the humor to me, and we we already knew about Jan and Michael's relationship, but we didn't know about him sleeping at the on a cot at the foot of the bed. Like that tapped yeah. into like more of like revealed like the power dynamic or the, their dynamic there. Uh, that funny story about how Michael thought he heard an ice cream truck truck and he ran through the sliding glass door. I'm so so sorry for the temperature in here. The um, sliding. Glass door shattered. So. It's actually a really cute story. Do you want to tell it, babe, or should I tell it? I don't like that story, babe. Come on, it's a cute story. Michael ran through the sliding glass door because he thought he heard the ice cream truck. <laughs> Stop! Stop it! I mean, I like ice cream, okay? Sue me. Oh, ha- no, don't. I shouldn't say that jokingly because she will sue me. She <laughs> loves to sue. She loves lawsuits. To me, that was a hilarious story. 
that that revealed a little more. I liked. <laughs> into their I liked the, the snip snip. That was funny. The, yeah, the vasectomy. Yeah, snip snap, snip snap, snip. Yeah, snap. yeah. That was funny. That was funny. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, we, I did I mean, like we already that. knew about their dynamics, but I think to me this like revealed a whole different like it revealed their home life in a way that we had no idea about. And when Michael's trying to get uh, Andy and Jim to invest in her candle company. Mm-hmm. When they first walk into the room and it reeks yeah. of candles, and we see like Jan trying to like get her candle business going, uh, th- th- to me it's just like one thing after the other. Like the like the, the to me this episode doesn't really let up a ton as far as like the funny stuff that, that it's throwing at you. And Pam and Jim, there's funny little things between them that night too. Uh, that that may always make me laugh, Jeremy. Yeah, and, and I'll say this right: it, it, it's nowhere near like like I've like the worst episode, you know. Even if you just go to like the first seven seasons, like nowhere near that. I just was like, for a show that just has so many great moments and so many just like boom, 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 and also to me, there's even cringier moments. It didn't hit me in a way where I'm like, it stands out to be mm-hmm. high on like like where everyone loves this episode, but. I know I'm in the minority in that. So, like, I understand, like, why it's, like, if I, say this is reversed, I wouldn't veto you. I would say my opinion, but I wouldn't veto you because I do, everyone says it in this episode that talk has gotten talked about, especially as the years have gone on. Like, I feel like the momentum's grown in its favor, Mm -hmm. but I've tried. I'm like, man, was I off? And it, like I said, it's not bad, but it doesn't hit me in that way. It just doesn't hit you. Yeah, and that's fair. Not, Not everything... Yeah, there's there was a little moment. I said Jim and Pam, like when Jim tries to use the excuse that his apartment flooded so mm-hmm. he can leave. You see this fun and playful between Jim and Pam. Like Jim was gonna leave without Pam. Never guess. I just got a message from my landlord. Apparently, my apartment flooded. Something with the oh, sprinkler. Oh no! Pam, we should probably get going and see the damage. Oh, okay. Well, you don't need two of you to do that. That's true. Um. Dinner sounded delicious. Pam, I'll see you at home. Thank you so much. Oh, Jim, I don't think you're going to abandon this party here all by itself. I don't know, because everything I own is there. You can buy new stuff, but you can't buy a new party. That's true. That is a great point. That's why they're such so good together, is little moments like that. So I think this was very revealing uh, about that as well. The Dwight stuff, I can take or leave, honestly. Yeah, that was annoying. Yeah, he, he showed up with the day like his childhood babysitter and all that. Like, I could have even not had Dwight in the episode and mm-hmm. uh, Andy and Angela to me, it was funny having Andy and Angela uh, at this party. And I think maybe how, where the dynamic was between Andy, Angela and Dwight at the time, maybe you needed Dwight to add a little bit there between Andy and Angela. I would have had the six of them. Yeah, no, I think, yeah. that, I think it would have been fine uh, with, with just the six of them. Um, but I did, I've, I watched this episode like two times in the past week and, and I'm sitting there going, I love, I absolutely love this. Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stepnitsky wrote this. They were behind some really good episodes. Yeah. Uh, when I was literally went down my list, I paid attention to the writers, and I'm like, these two dudes <laughs> come up a lot. So, so yeah, Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stepnitsky, uh, really good writers. Um, but yeah, I do think this is essential. Uh, you agree with me that it's essential, even though it's not one of your favorites, which yeah, I respect. I, I disagree, but I respect. <laughs> yeah. I I wouldn't I wouldn't veto it if I could because it's something that is talked about so much and so it's like you have to address that no matter how you feel about it and and it 
it has like core office things. It has the cringe. It has the like the shock value where you you know, like whoa, like yeah. it does. It's just I feel like there's other ones, but yeah, I would Dundies not. Dundies play up. a part in it. There's an appearance <laughs> by some Dundies. Jan throws a Dundee at Michael's TV. Yeah, so there's a little link between your the first pick and this. True. Pick. True. So okay. I, this reminds okay. me. So we've talked about the Sopranos. Uh, we haven't talked about Breaking Bad. Um, so this this reminds me of like a Pine Barrens episode, honestly, because Pine Barrens I don't think really hit with a ton of Sopranos fans, especially initially. It was one of those where they had to. I think a oh. lot of Sopranos fans who watched for more so of the the mob stuff and the violence yeah. and stuff maybe had to get used to something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, with Pine Barrens hit later. Pine Barrens has yeah. grown into an epic. Right. Episode. Pine Barrens hit me initially though because yeah. it was hilarious. Yeah, um, but, but but I think there it was it was a kind of a subtle. That's episode. a good. It's a good comparison. Also, the fly. I don't know if you watched Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. um, but the episode The Fly is kind yeah. of like that too, where yeah. it's just Jesse and Walt in the lab with this fly that they're trying to like get out the lab before it contaminates. So people just didn't really take to the fly when I watched it. I'm like, Oh, I love this episode, even though it's slow, even though, but like it moves stuff along between Walt and jet. So, so that, so the fly reminds me maybe of something like dinner so, party too. So I think, and this is not against you. Cause I know you liked dinner party, but I think that's where my skepticism comes with it. Not on like our list, but on favorites and best mm-hmm. because it wasn't received like that when it came out. Mm-hmm. And part of me is like, sometimes I remember, like, I think AV Club had, like, an article about it. And then it's like, I'm not saying this is the truth or not. I don't know. But I kind of wonder, is this just, like, people see it and it, it starts getting momentum. Like, Maybe. it's the populist thing to say. <laughs> to say, dinner party's my favorite. Where I'm like, is it really? And not you, Thomas. But just yeah. that's where I'm kind of like, That's hmm. understandable. On yeah. some people. I liked it right away. Yeah. Um, but but I think I, I understand your skepticism as far as, like, are people – do people really like it that much or are they told or they read about it? And, but I liked it right away and yeah. it confirmed it watching it the, the, the past week or so. Uh, it, it really confirmed like, yeah, this isn't cause I even challenged myself. I'm like, am I going to put this on because everybody talks about it or because I really think it d- deserves to be on. But, um, but I didn't think it deserves to be on so, okay. dinner party. Is dinner our, party. Is our number two. All right. All right. So back to me. And I'm going to go to season five, which was such an interesting season. And I think because season four has a lot of like it for what happened, had the writer strike. So that's why if you look on it, like it's not as long because the writer strike happened. But that is one season I had to go back to. And I was like, oh, it's better than I thought. But I love season five because they come back so strong and so much happens in it. And for a season that has so many things happening. I'm going to go to it's a two-part episode and for me a show that and hey you love SNL you host the SNL podcast so you, I know you love a great cold open mm-hmm. and the office has so many great cold opens but to me the ultimate cold open happens in stress relief Does anyone smell anything smoky? Did you bring your jerky in again? <clears throat> What's the procedure? What do we do, people? The are dead. Oh, how did that happen? It's out in the hall. No, we don't know that. The smoke could be coming through an air duct. Oh, my God. Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay calm. 
Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait, wait. Calm down. No, no, Michael, no. Touch the handle. If it's hot. It was the episode that aired right after the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 43, I believe, with the Antonio, uh, yep. Antonio Holmes. Great yeah. game. Cardinal Steelers Super Bowl. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I remember where I was watching that game, but more importantly than the game, who I was with and where I was watching this episode that aired right after it, I never forget. I was with Nick Prince, Ross Bozar, and we cracked up watching this fire safety drill that Dwight has them go through. <laughs> and I think it was why well, I think it's not just like so funny, but like in haha, but like essential is this was a big deal because that Super Bowl audience. The office was put in that position to get a big audience after the Super Bowl. How do you get a big audience? And especially a show like we've been saying, now it's beloved. But at the time, it was kind of cult hit and it was cringe and everyone liked it. So it showed the versatility of the writers and the performers, in my opinion, that it wasn't about like the cringe as much as getting those big laughs and it knocked it out the park. I mean, yeah. that whole opening sequence... It's just hilarious the way Michael's just like, we got to get the F out of here. He's trying to run and Oscar going through the ceiling and that Angela the with the cat. Sequence. Oh, man. It's just so many great things in there. And just Stanley having the heart attack and, and Michael, yeah. Barack is president. Barack is president. <laughs> like that whole part one is just great. And then having to go up to New York and talk to David Wallace, and, you know, Dwight and uh, those interactions. But then you go to part two and Michael with the roast and what goes on where he, everyone starts going up there and just roasting him, and he can't take it. Yeah. And he can't handle it. And he walks off and, and everyone kind of feels bad. Another great moment. They feel bad for him. And then just Michael's in the park with like the, the long like trench coat and the turtleneck and he's throwing bread at the the ground for the birds to come and then him coming back and then trying to roast everybody <clears throat> jim you're 611 and you weigh 90 pounds gumby has a better body than you boom roasted dwight you're a kiss ass boom roasted pam you failed art school boom roasted meredith you've slept with so many guys you're starting to look like one boom roasted kevin I can't decide between a fat joke and a dumb joke. Boom, roasted. Creed, your teeth called. Your breath stinks. Boom, roasted. Angela, where's Angela? Well, there you are. I didn't see you behind that grain of rice. Boom, roasted. Stanley, you crush your wife during sex and your heart sucks. Boom, roasted. Oscar, you are... <laughs> Oscar, <laughs> you're gay. Wow. Andy Cornell Hall, they think you suck. <laughs> and you're gayer than Oscar. <laughs> Boom, roasted. Boom, roasted. Just all those lines were just yeah. great. And I just think the way they were able just to get that big audience and get the big laughs and some of those big moments and getting the greatest cold open in that show's history, I'm going to go with stress relief for my nominee for essential episodes. Yeah, if you would have told me, Jeremy, that your sole reason for choosing stress relief was that cold open, I would have been like, yeah, granted. No, that's, I think, I think it's essential just to watch one of the best cold opens in television history. Yeah. And you're right, something that they, and they did this type of cold open specifically for the audience, the new audience that they were going to be pulling following mm -hmm. the Super Bowl. So you could tell it was just like, a production and I, I know when you were when you were talking about the oscar sequence i know i stepped on you a, a little bit i apologize but I, no, that's, that's just cool. like 
the funniest sequence I think in the whole thing was when Angela throws up her cat. Oscar's like, yeah. no, no, no. Angela throws up her cat through the hole, and then the cat comes out of the other side. Oh, it's hilarious! That visual is like burned into my mind. That's like one of the funniest visuals I've ever seen on the show. Like, oh yeah, period. And knowing how they did that, like they had two cats, and how they how they did the whole sequence, and they break it down in the oral history. It, it's just it's just so. Good. And Michael as a leader. So you see Michael as a leader in that sequence, initially mm-hmm. being like, all right, all right, feel the door handles. Are they hot? This and that. And then finally, he's just like, everybody fend for yourselves, yeah. essentially. <laughs> and like, it's just a madhouse. Yeah, just a just a madhouse. He reacts like almost like George Costanza when there is mm-hmm. a fire in the kitchen. Like, all right, screw this. All, all social norms are out the window. And um, yeah, that was a, that was just a perfect sequence of the office that's actually something if nobody's ever seen the office that's that's a clip that i would play for them to, yeah to, to talk them into watching the show and i think that's because i i didn't think about like obviously over time and reading things you get it but in the moment watching it with you know two of my friends right after that super bowl it was talking about like that was so different like that's not what as so as funny as the show had been before and even after it was like that was just this was we knew it was gonna be a two-parter but we were like that cold open was crazy and then now knowing like you said like the pressure that it felt like a they you know they said like almost like another pilot because Mm -hmm. a show that didn't have big ratings this was a chance for a big audience to come in and how do you do that how do you get them and to me they knocked it out the park yeah absolutely and they did so we talked about earlier how they didn't necessarily want stars to be in the show but they found an out in this episode where they had the movie within the show Mm -hmm. so they brought like jack black cloris leachman jessica alba to film this fictional movie uh that that andy and jim and pan and stuff were watching and so that was like their way of, of of inserting stars into the show without having them be just part of the cast so that was like a concerted effort right there and like a casting decision that was really notable that that made a lot of sense uh i think if they if their goal was to pull in new viewers i think the execution was on point i think it seems like they did it the right way i think so um i know uh paul lieberstein who plays toby toby flinderson mr hr Mm -hmm. himself he wrote this episode he was a writer on the show and uh just did it. I mean, just so many sequences, like, to me, when they're first up in New York afterwards. And uh, I don't know if you watched it recently or not, but just when, you know, the, David Wallace, they're talking, Dwight, we're really mad. And then Michael just gets up, and he just starts walking to the window, and he sighs. He looks out. Ah, the city. And I just start cracking up. How corny. <laughs> he looks, just the city. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. But then uh, even with the CPR and Dwight cutting the face off the CPR, doll it was just mm-hmm. you know just bizarre and just crazy with all that oh yeah every time you know? michael has to go to new york there's there's something great that happens as you can tell he's like yeah he, he's like he wants to be like a big city guy but he's so like out of his element oh yeah in a lot of ways yeah it's oh that's and then with with the with the roast part one thing that that we notice about michael throughout the series is he gloms on to things in pop culture but kind of misunderstands them yes misunderstands how to do them so like the roast is an example like even Mm -hmm. in those jokes that kind of hit they still were a little like should you be saying that in an office environment that's classic michael scott yeah none of those jokes like i tell people all the time like even younger people i meet who like it 
it's like, well, you couldn't say that now. I'm like, you couldn't say that in 2005. You could say that like, then. That was the joke, like, is that yeah. Mike was saying stuff that you couldn't say at the time. Yeah, it was like, right? it was bad then. Like, yeah. so don't don't think like now it's like, oh, you guys. No, everyone knew then, like, exactly. you shouldn't do what Michael's saying. We weren't totally cavemen back then. We exactly. still knew that some things <laughs> were off limits. And with Rose specifically, it's funny. I think a lot of people misunderstand them. Uh, I'll reveal a lot about myself. My wife and I watched The Bachelor together. Okay. That's something that we put on and like to watch. And so it, during Bachelor, this most recent Bachelor in Paradise season, they were doing a roast. And it it became so like, it, basically it was way too mean. And mm-hmm. the, people don't understand that roasts are funny in context because the people being roasted, first of all, agreed to it. And then you're supposed to be, you're not supposed to get like too, too personal. There's, that's why professional comedians do them and not yeah. amateurs. So that's, it was kind of funny, like seeing Michael try to do a roast and, and everything and just see him like probably misunderstanding how far to take a roast and how, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that's just that's something I love about Michael Scott's character is just those him misunderstanding pop culture things, and and just not understanding the moment. And, yeah. and I mean that's really the basis of how the show really starts. Honestly, you look at the pilot or the episode after the pilot, like that's the running theme throughout the show. Is like he just hears a bit, or and I, I love that he is a like you know as we. We did an episode about you know stand up comedy. You know, Michael's a f- big comedy nerd and a fan, and I kind I love that about him. But like like you said, he just doesn't understand the mechanics of comedy. Yeah. Doesn't understand why the joke is funny, and no. doesn't understand the timing of it or like exactly. the uh, inappropriateness. So it's just he just yeah. butchers it. Exactly. I don't know if we'll get to that episode, but when he's doing the Chris Rock bit, mm-hmm. yeah, that's like the first example that I that, that I can think of of him uh, completely misunderstanding mm-hmm. a bit and saying stuff that he should absolutely not be saying absolutely yeah so yeah stress stress relief part as a two-parter two-parter that's from season five and that's uh that's my uh my second choice for essential office episodes wonderful good call my man all right all right so i'm interested to see where you're going with this all right i am going to go a little later in the series mm. Um, my Steve Carell, uh, left the show, um, at the end of season seven. So this is toward the end of Steve Carell's run on the show that I'm going to choose. He, he came back for a cameo at the end, but really his time as Michael Scott ended in season seven. So I'm going to go with what I consider, and I would show this to someone, this episode to someone, if they're thinking about, of course you need context, but just one of the most purely fun and rewarding episodes of the office to me. And it pays off a running joke throughout this, throughout the whole series in a perfect way. And it's going to be threat level midnight from season seven, episode 17. Yeah. After three years of writing, one year of shooting, four years of reshooting and two years of editing, I have finally completed my movie threat level midnight. Just based on pure comedy and, like I said, paying off some uh, some running bit that happens throughout the series of uh, Michael's working on this movie. He talks about how he's a screenwriter and uh, and all this stuff. And we just hear about this movie and this him being a screenwriter. But this episode actually pays it off. We actually get to see Threat Level Midnight, the movie yeah. that he's working on. Such a perfect way to start an episode, too, like... 
chef's kiss to how how the office started this episode it was a scene from threat level midnight mm-hmm. and then michael says to the camera that he finally completed the movie and then the opening credits start so if you're an office fan especially michael just says i finally completed threat level midnight and then the music starts and you're like oh man we're about are we about yeah. to see this are we about to see threat yep. level midnight so they so as far as for creating anticipation for an episode i don't think there's many examples in the show's history better than threat level midnight Jeremy. no i think it's brilliant it was a brilliantly done episode it was brilliant that's something that really came out in season two where they're sitting around you know uh pam accidentally you know finds the script yeah. and they all stay late and read do like a read through of uh of threat level midnight and from season two to bring that all the way back and then to bring back like, you know, Karen yep. and different people and Jan. the way it's shot, you get yeah. the feeling like it was shot. It took all these years, you know, so like the, the look of it is different and all that. It was just such a well done thing. And a lot of times, especially, I mean, all shows, but like sitcoms do that in a real corny way where they're like referencing something in the past and it's like hokey. Right. And this was really done brilliant. And something that only could, I think, like having the mockumentary feel really adds to that. And it's like, oh, that's a brilliant way to use what you already have and just kind of like throw people off. I remember when this happened, everyone was just so hyped. They're like, they actually did. Like, it, it was just so awesome yeah. and so brilliant. Yeah. One of my personal favorite episodes of The Office as well. Like, this one hits. Like, rewatching it a couple times over the last week, I I, always, I I ended the episode both times like, man, like, I feel so good after watching this episode. <laughs> and you're right, like, seeing a bunch of characters coming back, a few of them coming back, but seeing all these characters playing roles, what's funny to me about that is they all kind of scoff and laugh about this, but they're all in the movie. Exactly. They all agree to be, to play parts in the movie and to take part in this. And one thing, Jeremy... One of my favorite aspects about that is the grumpy wet blanket Stanley. Mm -hmm. He's the narrator of this, and he does such a good job. Michael's gone. Well, that is an interesting story. He was once the best secret agent in the business. That was years ago. Where is he now? Well, that's also an interesting story. So he's like this wet blanket, and you would think Stanley would just kind of like be like, ah, oh, whatever, I don't want to do this. But Stanley's like narrating his ass off in this movie. Yeah, and I, and I think it shows that despite it, it's a job. Michael can definitely be annoying and wear on you. There was something about him. There was something about the atmosphere that on purpose or not, that he created that made you stay. How many mm-hmm. times, like, I mean, you've worked jobs, I've worked jobs, like, it's, you don't always get it where people do things after hours or they're staying late to do things. Like, right. and as I've gotten older, you realize, I'll be honest, like my first job out of college, that happened. And you take it for granted a little bit. You enjoy it, but like, then you get on the other jobs and you're like, oh, we're we going to go out afterward? And everyone's like, no, we, we're going home. And you're like, oh, like not every place does that. Yeah. So it's a special thing that I think sometimes people can take for granted until you don't know what you got till it's gone. So kudos to Michael Scott for that. Exactly. This is like the Dundies in which you see that family 
mm-hmm. uh, thing happened, conceivably after hours. Knowing Michael, he might have like shot all of this in, during work hours. Probably but, did. He probably did. <laughs> but uh, but you see that family uh, aspect of it. BJ Novak, uh, Deremy was the writer of this episode. Yeah. So this is like a, a BJ Novak gem. Uh, of an episode right here. And I think the gem or the crown jewel of the threat level midnight movie is the scarn dance. Oh, really? <laughs> when there's just a yeah. random dance sequence at the bar, you see like uh, Karen and Phyllis and Angela and Meredith. And then the warehouse folks there and Andy is the bartender. They're all doing this dance. And Karen has like one of the funniest graphic lines that d- doesn't fit in the movie. I know it'll cheer you up. That table of bachelorettes over there bought you this drink. Hey. hey. Ever banged an entire bachelorette party, baby? Why are you singling my line out like a million years later? This episode makes me feel good, man. Like that's so awesome. much. That's a that's a that's a surprise. I didn't know where you I thought you were going somewhere else with season uh-huh. seven. Okay. Honestly. Okay. Um so that that's a good surprise. A that really is. Yeah. And we talked about heart too, Jeremy. And just real quick, like one of my favorite, just how, how they end this episode with Michael ends up reframing how he views the movie. So he's taking it seriously. It's supposed to be this like serious action movie, but he accepts that it's not good and it's funny. Mm-hmm. And then he enjoys everyone's reaction to that he actually starts laughing at a certain point and that gives permission everybody else to laugh uh, to everybody else to laugh and fully enjoy the movie. So you see Michael, you see him coming to terms throughout the episode with like nobody likes this movie. I put a lot of work into it and people are laughing, but then he realizes like, yeah, like this is funny. It's not that good, but it people are enjoying it at the same time and is is the, isn't is that not a perfect representation of Michael as a character and as a boss. Like, yeah. Probably not that good of a boss, but you still like it and you still want root for it and want to watch it. And it makes you laugh. So like, it's perfect that Michael made this and everybody's yeah. reaction to the movie is like how they react to him. Yeah. I, and I think it, as a boss, but as a person, I think that's why you see, you know, he so desperately, he wants to have people be happy around him and to have great friends and family, and the, he wants connection, and he takes extreme measures and inappropriate measures to try to achieve that. But ultimately, that's what he wants. He wants that family feel. He wants that friendship kind of feel. Like that, if you listen and watch the show throughout, he didn't really have no growing up. You know, and he didn't really have that as an into adulthood. So he, you know, that I think that's where that empathy and. I think where people, even like the other workers in the office, they get annoyed, but they come back or they give him a pass sometimes because they know he means well and he does care. He just doesn't understand social cues at all. He does not. And he wants everybody to be his friend. He he even point blank told a few people. I think he told Dwight one time, your job is to be my friend. Mm-hmm. He's told people that because we know he didn't have friends growing up. There's that, that scene in another episode where he's, He's on a when he's a kid. He's on that kids show in Scranton, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and he and he he makes the host uh, like sad because <laughs> he's talking yeah. about how he doesn't have any friends when he mm-hmm. was when Michael was a kid. So that's just that's his motivation is yeah. just to, for these people to be his friends and to like him really. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. Threat level Threat midnight. Threat level midnight. Um, this is going to be hard because the, the, the listeners are going to think, because like I've said before and Thomas has said, we go over what we're going to talk, like like the episode, the topic, but what we're picking, it, it, we're hearing now. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know what Thomas is thinking. He doesn't know what I'm thinking. People are going to think that we set this up. And you might veto this one. I don't know. But in a weird way, your threat level midnight, which I had no idea you're going to pick, it connects to my choice. I'm going to take it back to season two, episode seven, The Client. The first guy says, well, I'm an astronaut, so I drive a Saturn. And the second guy says, well, I am a pimp, so I drive a cheap escort. And the third guy says, I got you both beat. I'm a proctologist. So I drive a brown probe. Oh, no. Oh, my God, that's funny. I almost had awesome blossom coming out of my nose. Can can I have a vodka tonic, please? Why it connects is is because the client is the episode where Pam finds the script (laughs) for Threat Level Midnight. But that's not why I'm I'm suggesting this, though, Thomas. Okay. One thing that has always been up for discussion and debate with people who love The Office like me all these years, you know, going on almost 19 years, is, is Michael Scott a good boss? How, and mainly, how did he get this job? How did he get this job? He's not good at his job. How did they, why did they put him there? You know, why, like, that wouldn't happen. I love The Client because this is the episode where Tim Meadows guest stars, and, you know, Jan Levinson comes down and, you know, they're trying to score, you know, Tim Meadows is an important client. They want to get this deal. And Michael changed it to a Chili's. <laughs> and you see them sitting down. And Jan is, you know, at first she's trying to lead the the meeting and she's real serious and stern. And Michael's just, you know, he's being Michael. And he's talking about who wants some baby back. And, you know, him and Tim Meadows are singing the song and they want, you know, they split an awesome blossom and all that <laughs> stuff. And he has Pam, you know, he calls Pam to like get like a joke. So he wants to tell, you know, Tim Meadows character this joke. And that's where Pam finds the threat level midnight script. But, you know, throughout the night in Jan's faces, because she's like looking at Michael, like, what are you doing? But Tim Meadows likes it. So she's like kind of stuck because she can't. She can't yell at Michael because Tim Meadow, they're vibing. Right. But she's just like, what the hell are you doing? But then later on in the night, out of nowhere, what's he do? He kind of connects it and pulls it like, hey, we're a small town. We're a small paper company. And we care about And you see Jan kind of looking at him. And you see why Michael got the job. He was a good salesman because he could, could connect with people. And he did care about people. And that's why he got put in that position. And you see, like, they nail the the deal. And afterwards, you know, I guess it connects to both of yours because, you know, that's when Jan kisses Michael. Right. That the was the camera catches say. it. Yep. You know, so it kind of connects to both of your choices. Honestly, I didn't think about that. But it's a little bit, di- I think it's a funny episode. It's hilarious. But I love it because it is something that I've thought about. And a lot of people are like, well, why does Michael, and I always tell them, like, if you watch throughout the show, you can see signs of like he is good at this job and you get why he was put in that position. Yeah. And this one is the first episode that I can go back to and be like, see, that's why he got put in that position. Yeah, for sure. Part of the conceit of Michael's character is that he's a re- he was a really good salesperson mm-hmm. who got promoted 
to a position that he wasn't right for necessarily, but you can see in his interactions with Tim Meadows what made him a good salesperson. Here's the thing about those discount suppliers. They don't care. They come in, they undercut everything, and they run us out of business, and then once we're all gone, we jack up the prices. I know. It's bad. It's terrible. It is. You know what? It really is. I don't know. I guess I could give you guys our business, but you have to meet me halfway, okay? Because they're expecting me to make cuts. Well, corporate's gonna go ballistic, but uh, you think we could, Jan? He's obviously in the right situation, really good about fostering and brokering relationships. If you give Michael like a night or a few hours with someone, he could charm them, probably sell them, uh, probably get a lot of big paper clients and, and whatnot. So this definitely fits as far as Michael being a great salesperson. But you're right. A lot of people just look at him as this buffoon boss. Like, how did he, why is he the boss in the first place? And this is an, an example. He read Tim yeah. Meadows. I don't know if it was sheer luck or if he'd read him 100%, probably a combination of the bo- of both. But he and Tim Meadows bonded. He had unorthodox or- or- methods that worked in this case. So I think that's a really great point of this is how Michael Scott got to where he was. Yeah, I think it's funny because it's Landon, and that's where the humor comes in. And Jan's like just looking like, "What the hell?" <laughs> and you know, and then but like it's just connecting. And then obviously the read through with Threat Level Midnight, and you know Dwight's playing Michael Scarn, and that's hilarious. And you know, even, you know, Roy comes upstairs, Pam's fiance, yep. and was like, hey, you know, ready to go. She's like, I think I'm going to stay late. Yeah, I'm going to work late. She, He's like, are you serious? Because like, he sees that they're just reading that script, and she's like, yeah, yeah. And I think that's just like what was – it was awesome about that too. Like just they found their ways to entertain themselves, and they did become a family. And uh, I don't know. I, I think that episode was just great because, like you said – I think what Michael does is, hey, we've all tried it. It doesn't work sometimes. Like, sometimes you swing and a miss, but you're trying to find what connects you. Like, what's a common interest? What's something you like? Like, instead of just like, I'm going to sell you a product. And I do believe if Jan does that meeting by herself, I don't know if they get that deal. No, like, Jan doesn't close Michael. that. No. No, Jan does not. <laughs> you're confident with it. No, like, no, no. She says, no, they needed Michael to close Yeah, it. yeah. Especially with how no, unorthodox Tim Meadows' character. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, great casting. And you'll always win me over if you have Tim Meadows in something. Yeah, he was great. He yeah. was great on that. I love Tim Meadows. Absolutely. And and it furthered the you know, Jim and Pam kind of getting together, but there was a little friction with Jim and Pam. It was probably because Pam was realizing that she was actually like definitely attracted to Jim and when she brought up she told the story about they were sharing like their worst first dates or whatever and she was saying that like one of her on her first date with the guy he left her behind at a minor league hockey game mm-hmm. that was Roy that she was talking about and it came right. out that it was Roy and Jim Joe I think he joked with Pam about that that being their first date and she got defensive and there was dancing and fireworks pretty good date we didn't dance you're right, we didn't dance. It was more like swaying. But still romantic. Swaying isn't dancing. At least I didn't leave you at a high school hockey game. I have some taxes to get out. Oh, come on, Pam. I... And it just kind of created a little bit of tension further that will they won't they so this was an interesting kind of jim, jim and pam episode too he was wrong in that one in my opinion. you think i think because like 
if she's single, you make that joke, True. okay? But you know that she's engaged, so like I would mm-hmm. don't go down there with that joke. Like she's engaged, so like I, I think, like even though it's obvious the feelings, the tensions there, like I don't I don't blame Pam for being defensive on that because it's just like uh uh you know yeah um, he shouldn't have said that joke like in, in that knowing all everything he shouldn't have done that yeah for sure that created a little bit of fun tension between them um, yeah the client's an overall really good episode Jeremy. Is that is it veto or no 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 I think, oh, okay. I think it's essential I think the, the 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 main thing that makes it essential to me is is it's showing Michael a classic case of Michael being really good at his job at least being a really good salesperson so yeah. it answers that question that people would watching the show one of the barriers for people would be this guy's a buffoon why is right. he why is he the manager so an episode like this you show somebody. And they're just like, oh, so it actually knocks down a barrier to the show for someone. So I mm-hmm. think in that way, it's an essential piece. Yeah, I and I and I think um, it was the one that was the toughest for me because mm-hmm. I don't think it's an episode that stands out to people a lot of times. If it does for me, for for that reason, so I, I was like, that was the one, the biggest one that I'm like, I could definitely, I could understand it if you did veto it, but that I, I'm glad you didn't. But like, yeah, I just think it's just. I always had that debate. I don't know if you did, but even to this day with people where they're just like, like you said, it's a good way to put it, that barrier of like, how could you be in charge? You're so, he's so dumb. He's so this, like I would debate people all the time. Like, A, like it's a common, like, can you look past it? But then B, like, oh, you do see reasons why he's in that spot. And like, I always, like I said, I go to this episode. This is the first time that I saw it as a viewer was the client. Well, that's an actual phenomenon. It's the Peter principle mm-hmm. is where people are so good at what they do that they can only help it end up in a place that they're not right for. So you basically get promoted to fail in a way. And that's what happened to Michael. He was so good, good at oh, wow. being, so good at being a salesperson that he got promoted, promoted to a position that he wasn't right for. And that, that's an actual kind of like business phenomenon called the Peter principle. Mm. So that's what happened to Michael. So I think that's an easy way to explain it too. Is like, I never thought of that. Okay, yeah. So Michael good. was that's so really good, good as a salesperson that they thought he should be regional manager and wow. that wasn't a right fit. You dropped some knowledge on me here. That's really good. I, <laughs> I like had that. To, I had to re-look it up. I was like, I know that's a term. I know that's a business term. So I just looked it up and it's the Peter principle. Yeah. And, and I think he definitely has some bad I'm – I'm not going to call him a good manager. Like I'm not going to say that. Totally like – because he, you know, with, with not the right crew, that that could go off the rails, what right. he, he did. But in a way, I think people, part of the reason why I think some of them rallied is because they didn't want to go to those other branches. They, they wanted to keep a job, and they kind of like, it motivated them to like get their jobs done to like make up for Michael's stuff. But I think it made them also, they would go through a wall for each other at, in the end of it, like... They did care about it, and they they were going to be because they always saw like all these other branches were closing down, shutting down. But it was like Michael's branch is doing well, and they were like, mm-hmm. "Why is Michael's branch doing well?" Like so, like and I don't know. He he had some good manager things. Had you know, I think of the um, this is like not honorable mention, but like the murder. Remember season six where him and Jim are co-managers and they're mm-hmm. talking about like layoffs and and they he wants to play the game. The you know. 
there's going to be another murder. Okay. And they do all yeah. that. And then um, Jim's, like, getting mad at Michael because he's like, stop playing a game. Let's get back to work. And then that one scene where they go into, like, Jim's like, let me talk to you in your office. And then Michael starts yelling at him, like, shut up. Shut up. They need this now, Jim. Let's have this stupid <laughs> game. And Jim kind of realizes, like, they do need this break. Like, they're worried yeah. about getting laid off, but sometimes to get your mind off of it. Exactly. And Jim should know. I, I think back to the Office Olympics. Where yeah. like they did something at the office where they they needed to do something like that to to up morale, especially. I thought you were gonna mention as an example, uh, and I guess this is an unofficial honorable mention for me, and an example of Michael um, driving away certain types of employees is the merger. The merger is an honorable. I was close. Was, yeah, well, that was one of my. That was actually my like first honorable mention too. So it's interesting okay. that we both had the merger high up, yeah. but like we saw in that one. Where his his uh he he was unorthodox in how he to put it lightly in that episode so he offends Karen right away he um says something inadvertently offensive to Martin Nash he drives mm-hmm. Tony Gardner to to quit after one day so the yeah. people from Stanford weren't quite used to that so he drove some of them away like Karen probably stayed because of Jim but the other ones were just like. Uh, Hannah was the other one from from Stanford who who uh, got driven away. But that's an example of Michael just like not being for everybody. His particular brand wasn't for everybody. True, very true. <laughs> though, if you would have vetoed one of mine, the the one I was going to go with though uh, was going to be Casino Night. Oh yes, classic, absolutely yeah. fun. Yeah. What a fun episode that that is, and that was um, when I first watched that episode, Thomas. That was it, one of more I don't think for a TV episode I've been more surprised than that one because you kind of feel like a tension throughout. And it's still funny, but then just the climax with Jim confessing his feelings and to Pam and how real it is. And Jim, you know, and then Pam, you know she's lying, but being like, sorry, you misinterpreted it. And then mm-hmm. Jim knows she's lying, but he has to tear. Like, he's not sobbing. Yeah, I, was like, I watched it like – the other day, it's like that that Denzel tear from Glory. He got that one like tear. I'm like, okay, John John Krasinski acting here, but like that scene ends, and then when he comes in and she's on the phone with her mom, and they kiss. Like I I was like, whoa, like I felt that, and it's just such a great episode. Yeah. So uh, that was Dwight's my like next man. up. Yeah, hmm? we find out Dwight's a ladies man. Dwight's a ladies with man. Angela. That kind of like oh yeah yeah their relationship kind of. And it's interesting, like Steve Carell, I was just looking it up and I was curious. Steve Carell wrote that episode. He has a writer's credit for that episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he he was great behind the scenes, man. He was like their unofficial, probably no, probably their official. Greg Daniels and Steve Carell, I would say, are like the two leaders on, on Absolutely. that Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's why I would have rather they did a series finale after season seven, then go on for those two seasons. Yeah. Because his role, not just as the lead, but because he was such an anchor for that, he was their leader. Like you said, Greg Daniels was the showrunner, but they all looked up to Steve Carell. They all admired him. He had, you know, working with the writers and directing and just everything. Steve Carell was that guy. And I felt like he has such a big role it's such a big, you know, shadow. Like you, you couldn't fill that. And I, I wish if there's one black eye for the office. It's continuing those last yeah. two seasons, in my opinion. You didn't, you didn't like uh, James Spader's character, <laughs> Robert California. Rob, yeah, I did not. I was no. not a fan. It was just, it was weird. Like I understood what they were going for, 
And there were moments where I thought it was funny, but he was too, uh, it was too cartoonish, too one dimensional. Um, Spader, the, it, he showed promise in the, in, the, in the episodes where they were interviewing for that job. Mm-hmm. Spader was like really good in those episodes, yeah. but I think fleshed out through a whole season. Maybe it lost, probably lost its luster right away. But at the end of season seven, when they were interviewing, like Ricky Gervais made a cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Jim Carrey made, yeah, came, I think made he a did, cameo. Yeah. But uh, James James Spader was one of the people they interviewed, and he he had a he was really good in that in 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 those two episodes. I agree. But yeah, but not I, right for the series as a whole. No, I think like. And that was the thing. So when you replace a Michael Scott, you got to have someone then who can be that steady. And I think James Spader's character couldn't fill that void because you could only take him every once in a while. Like if you could pop him in and out, then it could maybe work. But like they needed him to be there all the time, in my opinion, to work because you're missing that Michael Scott. And he couldn't be there like that. His character didn't work. So that void was still. Yeah, it was creepiness yeah. with no heart. Yeah, really, and that's yeah. So I, I from what I'm gathering, uh, uh, season two is definitely your favorite. Season two, season two and three like, are my my top two. Yeah, um, but two is like uh, it's my favorite even now watching it. But even in that moment, it was just like this is the best show on TV. Like this cements it because the season one was great, but it's six episodes. Yeah. So it was like this little thing. So it's not a full. But then to me, like season two, the they just hit. I, there's not to me. There's not a miss in season two. Nah. Like I, from I agree. You know, yeah. There's classic episode after classic episode. Anything between two and five, honestly. Like season five, I thought hard about like the period in time where Michael quit when Idris Elba showed oh, up. Oh, absolutely. And then Michael quit and formed Michael Scott Paper Company. Like that whole batch of episodes, I looked long and hard. At, uh, at those batch of episodes, Jeremy. I, I couldn't, and the reason why I couldn't do it is because I love those. I think Idris Elba was really good, and especially his back and forth with Jim. That was perfect. Yeah, he had no like, time for Jim's shenanigans. And the thing is, because Jim was so beloved by everyone, yeah. so it was just great to see like Jim like fumbling in front of like yep. a higher up and looking bad. Like It was just awesome. So I love that back and forth, but I... I I couldn't pick one. I felt like it was like that whole four, five episode arc. Yeah, is like together. So yeah, that's why hard. I was like, I can't, I can't pick just one of them. Yeah, I thought about New Boss, which was the first day that Charles Minor, that Idris mm-hmm. Elba came in. I thought about New Boss. I thought about Michael Scott Paper Company. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's like to me, that batch of like I think it's like six episode arc yeah. total. It's hard to distinguish. It's also great. So but, yeah. No, I agree. Two two to five is like the peak yeah. for the office. For it's sure. it's it's awesome. But now nah, man, so I'll I'll recap. So we have season two episode The Dundies, season four dinner party, season five, stress relief, season seven, threat level midnight, and season two the client for our essential office episodes. And I'm gonna go watch all of these in order because I think you did think a great you- job. You think this is one we could do a part two for? I think so. If, if we ever wanted to, I think so too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I know we we listed honorable mentions, but I could go more in depth on even the stuff that we kind of briefly touched about. Mm-hmm. Uh, talked I think about there's too. a lot more. Yeah, there's a lot more. So I think I think at some point, and it's such a popular show too. I think 
people would uh, welcome, I assume. They would welcome a part two of the Office episodes. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I'm curious to see what you're going to be throwing down for uh, next week's episode. Yes, sir. So next week is Valentine's Day. So we're getting in the mood by talking about five essential romantic comedies. Oh, boy. I think that's something that you don't know about Jeremy and I. I think both of us secretly like romantic comedies. I know every holiday season, my wife and I will watch the, some of the Hallmark movies. My wife will put it on, uh, put, okay. put on some Hallmark movie, and I'll just sit on the couch and watch with her. Sometimes if it's a bad, mo- if it's a bad movie, we'll watch it like Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, yeah. Make comments throughout. Um, but even like you know, there's been some great films, some home, some some touchstone films over the years so mm-hmm. that uh, uh, that are romantic comedies. So I'm excited. We're gonna be talking about five essential romantic comedies, Jeremy, and I think we're gonna have our first guest for the episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, first special guest. I'm we excited did, for that. People didn't know that we can bring guests on our podcast, but I think mm-hmm. we're gonna have our first guest for. Five essential romantic comedies, Jeremy. Uh, what Absolutely. do you think of this topic? And and I think it's it's a good one. It's a good show. It fits the time, Valentine's Day. So I love that. And I think even if you're like a hater, like those guys, oh, I don't like the rom com. If you sit down and think about it, there's romantic comedy. There's more than you you think. Like that are like some great movies that are that they hook you. So. um I'm interested to see because there's some different ways people can go with this. Like yes. you know, so I'm I'm curious to see what you're thinking and that special guest. Yes. That's that's a ringer. So absolutely, yeah, that'll be a fun wrinkle. So yeah, join us next week. Celebrate love and comedy with us. Five essential romantic comedies, Jeremy. All right, all right. So for my fellow assistant to the co-host, <laughs> Mr. Thomas Senna, I'm Jeremy Dove. Thank you guys for listening to Pop Culture Five. Take care. Podcasts and such.